week away in the Dominican Republic with a team of wonderful people last week, and we had a great time. We'll be excited to share with you the story of that trip next week when the pastor, the two pastors of Vision Celestial will be with us next week. So to continue that partnership happens next week, we're looking forward to that. But just something, a little card. Would you, those of you on the end of the rows, would you take this little card and pass it down to each other? We are excited about the new Sunday format that's coming starting April 8th, Sunday after Easter, Sunday mornings. We're going to need all of us to, to band together and participate in this different way of being together. We have a community time that will be in the middle of our morning from 10.15 to 11, and we're going to be needing help in getting that set up and serving during it and cleaning it up each week. So we're beginning to ask, hey, um, who might among us be willing to say, count me in on the team? for helping make that community time work. We're going to be looking for more people just to encourage um, as we're going to set up uh, a, a, t- a welcome table in our community time. We're going to be looking for more people to be willing to be a part of our already robust welcome and greeting team. And if you're interested in being a part of looking for and welcoming newcomers, we'd love to see your name. Uh, and and we'd, we will wrap you into that, uh, the way that we're going to be doing that going forward. And then, if you look at this little card on the bottom, we're going to be starting a shuttle system every Sunday. And uh, we're going to invite participation in several ways. We, we need to get 50 or 60 cars off the hill, we think. And so we want to create the Hillside Shuttle Club. <laughs> the benefits are amazing. Uh, prizes, coupons, shirts, it's going to be amazing. But what we're thinking of doing is saying, hey, would there be a, some of you that would be willing for the first three months, April, May, and June, to say, count me in. I'll do the shuttle for the first three months as we experiment with the flow of Sunday morning. So look at that. If you're interested in being a part of that, we'll be, we'll be following up with you there. Um, we're looking for a host people to be at the lower parking lot to welcome people. I thought that, that part of our traffic solution might be people meeting in neighborhoods like a Pleasant Hill neighborhood carpool captain and you kind of organize Pleasant Hillians and you meet at a shopping center and then come together in a couple cars instead of five or six cars. Isn't that a brilliant notion? (laughs) Well, hey, so we think maybe you want to be a uh, kind of a neighborhood carpool captain for your neighborhood. Let us know because we can uh, work it that way. Or let us know if you'd be willing to just to drive by the shuttle lot and pick up somebody in your car. We call that the informal shuttle. We'll be looking at multiple ways to manage our car traffic flow. And you could communicate your willingness to be part of that on this card. Good? We are in First Peter in our study today uh, for three more weeks. Then we have Easter. And then we're going to be starting something in April and May. We are going to read the New Testament together in eight weeks. We're really excited about it. We're going to use um, the New Testament for this. (laughs) But uh, the covenant has put together this little book. It's taken the New Testament. It's taken out the chapters and the verses. It gives us a chance to read it like we might read other books. Kind of holds it together. It's organized the the chronology of it a little bit differently. And uh, what we're excited to do is to every week read so many pages uh, we'll have a Sunday school class with a different teacher every week to give background for the books you'll be reading about. And then that next Sunday, I'll bring a message that comes from that particular New Testament material. 
We're gonna have small, new small groups if you'd like to join us on Wednesday evening to study together around this venture. Eight weeks, April and May. So you'll start seeing these out in the back. We are gonna sell them for $10. If you have any issue, we'll, we'll work it out because we don't want Jesus to come and kick over tables in the back of our narthex, right? <laughs> but that, hey, listen, that's our cost and we figure most of us probably can handle 10 bucks for this version of the New Testament that we'll be reading together. So excited about that. That's coming up soon. Maybe just a couple other things. If you've never been baptized and would like to, we do baptisms once a year uh, on the Saturday night before Easter. And we're going to do a class in my office this Wednesday if you would like to learn more about baptism. So know that's available. And uh, last thing I'd like to say is next Sunday is the Mattoons last Sunday with us. And we're going to have a celebration for them after second service with some food and just a way to celebrate their life. And you know, Hillside is the worst in signing up, so it's almost, I shouldn't probably say this, but sign up if you're thinking about coming, because <laughs> we're going to get some food, and we're, we'll probably guess, but if you sign up, we'll kind of get a head start on that, but we want to celebrate the Mattoons next week. Good? All right. Well, listen, would you pass out the outlines that are at the ends of the rows, and we are going to Read together. If you take your outline and then look at the back of it, you'll see the text for this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. We're continuing our study of this beautiful letter of Peter to the churches of Asia Minor. And let's read out loud as one voice this text. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same intention. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has finished with sin. So as to live for the rest of your earthly life, no longer by human desires, but by the will of God. You have already spent enough time in doing what the Gentiles like to do, living in licentiousness, passions, drunkenness, revels, carousing, and lawless idolatry. They are surprised that you no longer join them in the same excesses of dissipation, and so they blaspheme. But they will have to give an accounting to him who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. Above all, maintain constant love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received. Whoever speaks must do so as one speaking the very words of God. Whoever serves must do so with the strength that God supplies so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus Christ. To him and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word for us today. Let's remind ourselves that the theme of this letter has been this. To a church suffering in Asia Minor, Peter writes encouragement to them. In the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your discrimination, in the midst of your trouble, 
What I want you to do is I want you to act like Jesus did when he suffered. That's the whole theme of this book. Act like Jesus did. Observe him who suffered. He's our model. Follow his character, the way he didn't retaliate, the way he trusted himself to God the judge. Follow his character and you you will know a unique blessing and you will be vindicated and the witness of Jesus' movement will happen through you imitating his life. Good courage, church in Asia Minor. Carry on, be like Jesus. Our text today, once again, calls us to the imitation of Jesus, not only in the way that he suffered, but as a manner of entire life. For Jesus was marked by a surrender to his father. In John chapter five, Jesus said these these words, I only do what I see my father doing. It is this set apartness that he gave himself to that is at the heart of the call to imitate him. Likewise for us, to be set apart, which is the word holiness. Holiness, this passage today is a call to what I call sober holiness. I use the word sober from verse seven. In our translation today, you'll see the word serious. Sober is a little bit more crystal clear to the the original word sober, meaning not intoxicated, meaning clear-minded, meaning attentive, aware, alert, focused. Three times this word will be used in this letter because to be an imitator of Jesus means we have to have a mind that's set on it. Seeing him and seeing the world around us and knowing how we negotiate those tensions. Sober, holiness. Holiness doesn't just mean being good, which is our common way of thinking of holiness. Oh, I don't do anything wrong. It is ultimately the notion of being set apart Like, imagine someone who serves in the military. I I think it's a good metaphor. They have chosen to step out of civilian life. They've surrendered themselves to a rule, and they mark themselves as such by wearing a uniform. I grew up in the military. Well, not in it, but the son of uh, someone in the military. And I've always sort of admired, watch my dad put on his big boots. You remember those black, big, I thought those were like the coolest things, the boots. All to say, the uniform of a military person marks him as a set-apart, or her, as a set-apart person following the rule of somebody who's called them to a mission. Beautiful way to understand holiness. And in our text today, Paul, uh, Peter, is saying, follow, imitate Jesus in his suffering. The time has long gone for us to do and the, the, the life that was lived before in the way of the Gentiles, all of those things. No longer do those, but live for the will of God. Live as Jesus lived, saying, Father, whatever you want, I will do. This is something kind of intuitive to us, but I want to make a comment. When I use the word holiness, there are two images that come to my mind. I'm going to distinguish them as prude holiness and pioneer holiness. What I mean by those two words is simply this, is that all behavior has things that we engage in and things that we refrain from. And I think it's more winsome for us to be a people who are known by what we do as opposed to be known by what we don't do. You can be known either way. What I'm saying is that some people who want to be known by what they don't do typically carry a vibe of set-apartness and even judgmentalness. Have you, do, you, do you know what I mean? 
But people who are known by what they do give off a vibe of adventure and invitation and imitation. It's a similar road with a different emphasis. Like it is that I stand now on these steps on two feet, but I can actually lean all my weight on one or the other. Do you know which one I'm leaning on now? Yeah, was I kind of leaning that way? Oh yeah, I didn't know if you could tell or not, but truly that was the case. But you picked it up, didn't you? You sensed that while I was standing on two feet, there was something about my way of being that gave emphasis to holiness as serving the Lord. And, and, and I was trying to think of historical examples, perhaps, of what this could look like. And I was thinking of Mother Teresa, a classic example of a saint holy, a person who's known by what she did. Of course, there's a lot of things she didn't do, but she's known by her story of what she engaged. I, I tried to think, is there a historical character that I could mention who maybe represents the other side of the question? And I, I do so gingerly since it's not fair to give a history let me do it anyway with, <laughs> uh, with that with that particular you know uh, caveat and we'll be gracious to her but I'm, I'm thinking of somebody Mary Hunt who was in the late 1800s a key figure in the temperance movement in the United States temperance was that move to ban alcohol from civic life and there were reasons for that alcohol was at the root of many social evils I'm sure but as all good movements happen they get polarized ultimately and Mary Hunt became the uh, the de facto censor of high school textbooks throughout the country and she had the power to nix any textbook that had any kind of ideology uh, against her view of temperance for example if she found a book that said alcohol could have medicinal qualities out or if there was any kind of language that would suggest that some moderate use of alcohol would be okay, you know, out for sure. Now, I just use that example to say she has become known now as someone who was known for her sort of abstinent view as kind of which marked her contribution to the story. And uh, again, I'm just using her as kind of an example to try to illustrate this. Mary Hunt, I'm sure, had many positive qualities. I want to, I want to affirm her as much as I can because I'm probably going to meet her one day and we'll have to talk about this sermon. Um, my point is let's be people in our pursuit of holiness the imitation of Jesus who give off the vibe that we're about something not just against something and the second half of our text really leans into that when we see in verse 7 where Peter says the end of all things is at hand now we're going to get to the heart of what sober holiness looks like and we're going to see it consists in this reflection of two things prayer and love But I like that he begins with the end of all things is at hand. Do you know, I believe that the New Testament writers thought Jesus might come back during their lifetime. You see that in Paul and Peter, a real sense of the imminence of his return. And I think that's actually been appropriate for every generation of Christ followers through these last 2,000 years. That Christ could come back anytime, and he could, and he might, which gives today some weight. Which says today matters there is an end coming and we have short time let's live it well and into that space he calls us to this sober-minded alert awareness and then he says at the end of verse 7 look at there in the text for the sake of our prayers to be a praying people prayer is a is an activity of mind and of soul and of attentiveness whether prayer is sitting five minutes in our church listening 
quietly praying for somebody that we're caring for and wanting to be a blessing in their life. I just have to say, during the five minutes of silence, I heard a beautiful young child voice sing the alphabet song. And do you know what my thought was? My thought was, she is, uh, she's naming in, in a song every person that we're holding before the throne today by virtue of their first name. As she went through the alphabet, it was, to me, a song of including all of our intercessions together. Isn't that cool? I don't know who it was, but, oh, way to go. We couldn't have designed that more perfectly. But prayer, as a form of sober holiness, a a constant attention toward, toward God's presence, not always talking, but being aware of his presence with us, including him in all that we're doing toward a life like Jesus who always did what the Father was doing. But above all comes in verse eight. Do you see the word above all there? And I'm struck by above all. I'm struck by Peter remembering Jesus at the upper room that we just remembered when he said, a new commandment I give you. A, the greatest commandment that he gave his disciples, well, I want you to love one another the, the way that I have loved you. This priority that Jesus gave to this loving one another, I think rises up now in the above all that Peter uses when he says love each other fervently. In our text in your, the back of your outline today, it says the word constantly. Fervently, constantly, both with intensity and ongoing tenacity marks the way that we love each other not just in theory but practical and he'll he'll give us some practical words today be hospitable he'll say open the gifts and the treasures of your home and your life to others without complaining it was all going well until he added without complaining (laughs) because i'm so aware that it's easy for us to force ourselves to do the right thing and sometimes we must But what does it take to get to the place where our hearts desire the thing that we're ought to do? How we need the spirit in us to change us from the inside out, to make us not only lovers through gritted teeth, but lovers with open hearts. A need for the spirit to be shaping us always, even as we discipline ourselves to do the right things, make love practical. Make love practical by taking the very giftedness that you have, our last two verses today. Whether that's gift of speaking or gift of serving or doing, in this beautiful way, Peter sums up all giftedness because all giftedness expresses itself outwardly either through hands or through mouth. And he says, whatever gift you've been given, use that as a steward of God's manifold-sided grace. Use it to serve somebody else. So John and Catherine have some musical gifts and they served and gave us a platform with which to express something ineffable today, true and powerful about God. Those those ushers stood in the back and are standing still to to give us room to sit and space to find our way. The giving of whatever we have for the sake of the other is a practical form of love, a a wonderful form of positive pioneer love holiness, what we're for. I want to just close my reflection today, though, on this phrase in verse 8. Above all, be fervent in love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It's an interesting phrase. You wonder what it means. The idea of cover at first marks us as sketchy because we think of covering as covering up. 
But this particular proverb, love covers a multitude of sin, roots back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 10, verse 12, which says this, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers a multitude of sin. Proverbs works like, well, different Proverbs work in different ways, but this is an antithetical proverb where we learn the meaning of either side by its relationship to its opposite. So to stir up, hatred stirs up strife is a way of being uh, in a community where there's problems and the the, uh, sort of the the, uh, insults and the um, kind of the, the offenses that we take upon ourselves, we use as fuel to exacerbate the fire. We stir things up. We get things more intense, more angry, more uh, like this. I think covering a multitude of sins has this opposite idea of, yeah, we're gonna sin against each other, but covering a multitude of sins means to bring conciliation, reconciliation, peace, to help us get along, help us stay together, to be patient and kind and gentle. Ooh, what does that remind you of? The fruits of the Spirit himself. And I was thinking, I wonder when Peter uses this old Jewish proverb, if for him it connected right to the heart of his experience with Jesus who covered his multitude of sin. I can't read this letter without knowing Peter's story was marked, I'm sure indelibly, by his denial of Jesus. And to know what it means to cover a multitude of sins, all we have to go back is to the imitation of Jesus in John 21, where after he has come back from the dead, they're at the beach, and Jesus takes Peter aside, and at least the way John wrote the letter, he doesn't name what he did. He doesn't even actually go there, but he simply says, Peter, do you love me? He gives Peter a chance to express truly what's in his heart, and Peter says, yes, Lord, I do, and then he commissions him, feed my sheep, and then twice more, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And it says Peter was grieved the third time, but Jesus is doing gentle surgery. He's covering over a sin by giving Peter a chance to mouth what was true in his heart, a love for Jesus, and a commission to, to continue to serve as his, as his right-hand guy. It, it's a beautiful picture of covering a multitude of sin. I note that in all the Gospels, the Gospel of Mark, which is the Gospel written through the eyes of Peter, through the pen of his young protege, Mark, notes in the chapter on the resurrection that Jesus, when he came into the garden, said to the women, tell Peter and the other disciples to meet me in Galilee. It's the only Gospel where he's singled out in that moment. And then this thought occurred to me. Jesus, busy redeeming the entire cosmos with his radical resurrection work in the middle of the most important event in all of being, remembers his little friend Peter and the little sorrow in his heart. In the middle of resurrection work, he remembers Peter. And I I bring this up because this ministered to me this week so much, having been in the the Dominican Republic. To spend time in a third world country exposes you to needs that are so great. To see the church at work there so inspiring that something began to happen inside of me. It was this. I began to feel sheepish about my own story. I began to feel selfish about the time I spent praying for my own anxieties and my own problems. And as I was flying back on the plane, I was kind of in this mode of saying, 
God, you get, you've done so much for my life. Okay, thank you for everything. I can go to the back of the line now and you take care of the rest of the world because I'm sorry for taking up your attention with my little petty stuff. It might sound funny. That was really going on in me until I opened the text this week to study this text and I saw that Jesus in the middle of his resurrecting the cosmos work remembered Peter. And it dawned on me this week, Jesus saying, no, no, don't go there. Don't get all heroic on me and think, yeah, you gotta go to the back of the line. Don't, don't go there because I love you. I know your story. And you're as important to me, not more important than anybody else, but not less. And God has capacity to hold every one of us as if we were the only one in the universe. That did something for me this week. I was on the verge of sort of, I don't know what I was on the verge of, but I had this rush of intimate Jesus, God, Father, love, reminding me it's okay for me not to have it all together. And it's for me to bring my stuff before him. I'm not opposed to the reminder to keep perspective that some other people have a, a lot of hard stuff. That's a kind of a good perspective. But the conclusion is not for me to go away. It's to realize that how God loves me is how he loves us all. I hope that truth out of love covers a multitude of sin touches you today. That was the gift that I was given this week, and it's a joy to share it with you. Jesus, we uh, thank you for the text of your scriptures, how it's living and breathing and ministering to us. Thank you for the privilege of tasting again bread and juice today to connect to the great story of your deep sacrifice to save the world, to save us, to tell us that you love us, that you are always drawing us closer to you so that we could be agents of drawing our friends to you. And I pray that every name so named today and held up before you in the silence, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, all the way through Z, you will know their names and their stories and they will this week know your love like we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.